You are listening to the Forcecom Frontline, bringing you to our soldiers on the front lines of readiness. Hey everyone, welcome to the Forcecom Frontline. I'm Ashley. And I'm Eve. And today's conversation is one we have been planning for months and are really excited about. We told you when we started this podcast that we wanted to have real conversations. And today we are doing just that. We are addressing a topic that doesn't often get talked about in the Army or in most people's everyday lives for that matter. June is Pride Month, and today we're talking with Chaplain Rebecca Ammons, a transgender woman serving in the Army. We wanna let you know that we didn't take this conversation lightly, and we work with Chaplain Ammons on the questions and the direction we would take for this interview. Our goal is to help normalize conversations like this. We went into this podcast wanting to address topics that may be helpful for others to hear and to help everyone gain a better understanding of other people's lives. Chaplain Ammons has agreed to talk with us about her personal struggles, what it was like having to hide her identity for most of her life, and what it's been like being able to be herself since the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. We are also going to talk with her about her contributions to readiness and what chaplains do to support soldiers and their families, both those who consider themselves religious and those who don't. So let's go ahead and get started. Welcome, Chaplain Ammons. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. We are too. So one of the reasons we're chatting with you today is to highlight Pride Month. So we wanted to give you an opportunity to share some of your story. Oh, that's exciting Um, and scary at the same time. I know, very open-ended, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Where does one start? Um, I guess I'll start with the here and the now. Uh, And if that generates questions or maybe some further trail to go down and chase a rabbit or whatever, that'd be fine. Um, I'm currently uh, an active duty Army chaplain um, and a trans woman. Married for 30 years, three kids, um, and these sorts of things. Um, I have, well, before I go too much further, I I think it's really, really important for people to know that there's no one way to to be trans or to be transgender, um, and that there's all kinds of people who have different needs in order to be comfortable within their own self, their own skin, and it's kind of on a continuum from simply identifying with different pronouns or um, perhaps a name change or clothing change or these sorts of things all the way through any number of uh, medical and or surgical procedures. So I think it's important for people to know that when somebody says or you meet somebody who's transgender to let them share their lived experience and how it works for them as opposed to trying to put them in a box and say, oh, well, aren't you supposed to be doing this kind of thing? Um, So I have known basically for the greater part of my 55 years that there was what I call an incongruence. There was this disconnection with what I saw in the mirror and what other people saw and if I was to be courageous and honest when I closed my eyes and described myself, what would come out? They would be two very, very different things. Um, I didn't really feel that I had an opportunity to explore that or ex- to express that. I was born uh, in Fredericksburg, Virginia in 1966, and things are very different today than they were back then. Um, we lived in an area that uh, still had a fair amount of racial tension, and to to think that someone could embrace, you know, collectively what what we're calling the LGBTQ experience back then, uh, I would say is non-existent, except for maybe small pockets of which I didn't know. So mm-hmm. I didn't have the space in order to express and to share my feelings and my beliefs. Uh, so I kept it uh, hidden. I kept it secret. I figured out how to live my life as a boy, um, sometimes successfully, uh, sometimes not so much, uh, until about five years, five and a half years ago. And part of this is some of the question that I think we might get to is when I had the opportunity 
to actually share me, share my experience for the first time in front of another human being. Um, and the world didn't stop spinning. <laughs> she didn't get up and walk away. And so I had the opportunity to say, wait a minute, maybe there are other options for the way that I'm living uh, my life at that time. And that opened up uh, possibilities that I never thought would exist. So I shared with my friends and my family on a very small level. Some of those were successfully negotiated. I had friends who left. I had people within my worshiping community who stopped talking to me and ghosted me. Uh, did not always create the the best environment or re relationship with some of the family members. And at the same time, as it relates to friends and family today, we we have we've reconciled a lot of that. So that's really, really great. So that's kind of where I am now. And so you just said for the better part of your 55 years, you basically had to live a secret. Um, and secrets can be hard on the people that are keeping them. Can yes. you talk about what that was like for you? Um, I think I would describe it as trying to live and breathe underwater, but only being able to do so by breathing through a straw. So imagine being held underwater or believing that that's where you're supposed to be. But yeah. the only thing that you can do to survive is just breathe through a tiny little regular drinking straw. After a while, you get to believe that is the normal. But what it does is it really crushes someone. One of my one of my favorite uh, researchers authors and public speakers is Brene Brown, big hero of mine. And she has a quote that I actually have on one of my uh, whiteboards in my office and it reads, your level of true belonging can never be greater than your willingness to be brave and stand by yourself. That's a good quote. I love it. It became one of my mantras, if you will, as I started to explore the possibility of me living the way that I needed to live, um, the authentic or the genuine self. And that's what secrecy does. It doesn't allow someone to genuinely share who they are. The problem with secrecy is that you can't just keep the bad things or the hurtful things secret. You end up keeping secret or not sharing some of the good parts about you as well. So this is a big departure for you because you kept your secret for lack of a better word for 55 years. And here you are now you're talking not just to us, but to a bunch of unknown audiences. How, how has that made you feel like going into this? Oh goodness. A nice, good feeling question. How, did that make me, how does that make me feel? I love feeling questions. Um, yes, so do I actually. Um, anxious, nervous, scared. This is very much outside of my comfort zone. And I've also learned over the last five years with some incredible help from friends and the behavioral health community that I have discovered that the things that make me the most anxious are probably the things that I need to do or at least explore. So while this is very much outside of my comfort zone, <laughs> the anxiety was high enough to say, I need to do this. Well, we are very grateful for that. And so I'm gonna go back to, you said in 2015 was the first time you spoke of your trans identity to another human being. So now yeah. that you have done that, what has life been like for you? Wow, I, I wish it was all uphill or, <laughs> downhill. I wish it was all positive, <laughs> but that's not the case. Sure. Because I had developed a life, uh, an exterior life that other people had seen and what they thought of me when I first shared 
my identity, with my family. Um, it didn't go as I was hoping that it would. And that kind of talks about what I was referencing a little bit before. Some family member relationships became strained. I had people who left me. And at the time, the way that I understood all of that was through a lens that I needed, I believed I needed to please people. I believe that I needed to have all of these people in my life that I fundamentally could not function without these people in my life. So as I was experiencing them leaving or distancing themselves, I really didn't know what to do with that. And that put me into, quite frankly, a very uh, bad tailspin uh, where I questioned, um, I questioned how much more I wanted to do uh, this side of uh, this side of eternity. As I continue to negotiate and talk with people and work my way, uh, struggled my way through the behavioral health sector, I became more confident that I can live myself, my story as opposed to somebody else's story of me. Uh, so that really, really helped. Today, I am open. I am public with my transition. I uh, em embrace the opportunity that if somebody else is struggling, that maybe, maybe my story could help just a little bit. Now, we've been communicating with you back and forth for the past couple of months. And one of the things that you've mentioned in our previous conversations was that gender orientation does not equal sexual orientation. And that really kind of struck a chord with both of us because we, I mean, honestly, it's just not something we'd ever explored or thought about. And so have you experienced that others aren't able to differentiate the two? And does it really matter? Good question. Bottom line up front, I don't think it does matter. Practically speaking, uh, human beings want to label and put things into boxes so they can determine whether or not they want to you know, work with them, deal with them, play with them, associate with them or not. And some of those labels include whether someone is, you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual, you know, pansexual, all these different things. Mm -hmm. So, Fundamentally, it doesn't matter, but yes, one of the questions that I have gotten over the last five years of, of, as I've started to share some of my experience is, oh, does this mean that you're gay? It's like, well, what do you mean by that? I'm still married to the same woman. Um, bless her heart. If and she's 30 years, to put up with it? me For 30 years. It'll be 31 years this September. Congratulations. And that hasn't always been the easiest because she knew me in a totally different way for 25 of those last 30 years. Yeah. So I can understand where there's that, oh my goodness, what's this? This is new. I had to think, well, I don't know, what does it mean to be bi, straight, gay, uh, homosexual, lesbian, any of these sorts of things? And it came down to me determining that it really doesn't matter. Other people, it might matter a whole lot, but that's because maybe they just lack some of that uh, ability to be curious, that something different might be that they haven't experienced themselves. But it is a question that comes up. I think you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, I think it is one of those things where people they assume you've got to be in some sort of box and you've got to label whatever it is that is yeah. going on. And, and do you, does it matter? Like you just said, does it actually matter? Yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. No, it, it really doesn't. It only matters for the people who want to label because exactly. I, I think that human beings really don't like ambiguity. They don't like the unknown. Yeah. They want black or so, white, no gray. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I don't think that there's many things, if anything, in the world, especially with human beings, that is absolute black or white, yes or no, up or down, these things. Right. It's yeah. all these different nuances and shades of 
gray and green and yellow and red, all these things, which is really, really exciting because it makes all of humanity, this whole human race, just really rich and exciting and fun to explore and, and meet new people and these things. So well, and I think that's part of it too, is, is, is being open to learning and um, just being open to that whole, to, to not just be stuck in a bubble, being yes. open to learning more about others um, and that not everybody looks at things the same way you do. Yeah, that's true. I, I've, I've experienced both the embracing of let's look at this new and oh my goodness, no, go away and <laughs> these sorts of things. Which yeah. is a shame that it, it is. comes to that too. Right. Um, so back on track. <laughs> so you okay. came back on active duty in 2010. You had previously served as a Marine. So yes. what brought you back to service and especially being a chaplain? How did all that all happen? Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you the summarized Reader's Digest version. Um, I was on active duty in the Marine Corps from 1984 to 1992 and had some fairly significant knee injuries that got me to the point that I couldn't run anymore without significant pain. So I was med boarded from the Marines and that provided me the opportunity to go to school and get a degree after I got out. And I actually became an occupational therapist and I worked in a hospital setting in acute rehab and inpatient rehab for about 14 years. 2003, I'm at the hospital where I work and we were watching TV over breakfast and I felt a very clear, distinct, uh, what I'll call a burden um, to, to go into the military, the army specifically, and share with those soldiers um, and then, you know, whomever, sailors and airmen and Marines and, and Coast Guardsmen, that there is something that transcends whatever difficulties, whatever crises, whatever horrible things they might be happening. Because we were watching all of these things with Iraq and Afghanistan unfold in the news. Yeah. And that set it settled uh, very heavy on my heart that maybe I can go and walk the journey with them and show, their, show them there's something more. So then I applied to seminary. Uh, I actually did a little bit of time as an enlisted, uh, we, used, we used to call them chaplain assistants, now they're religious affairs specialists. I did that for a little bit in the reserves um, and then realized that I believe that my calling was to be an actual chaplain. So I went to seminary and did all that uh, commissioned, waited for the, the medical review boards to come back and was able to enter back onto active duty as a chaplain in 2010. And here I sit. <laughs> so 11 years later. I've got a, a question a little off script. So being a Marine and like we said before, lack of a better word, keeping your secret, Yes. I, I feel like that may have weighed heavy on you. I mean, everybody thinks about Marines tough and who, hoorah, right? Hoorah. So how was that for you? It was challenging, to say, to say the least. <laughs> uh, going back to a description that I was using before, sometimes depending on where I was and what I was doing and perhaps even who I was with in any given moment, breathing through that drinking straw became breathing through a coffee stirrer, which if you can imagine is that much harder. Right. I actually picked things that I thought would make me more macho <laughs> or that would uh, surround me with such um, strong, masculine, hurrah sort of stuff <laughs> that eventually I could look in the mirror and see myself as others saw me. And quite the opposite happened. It actually created more discord within me because in that environment, I really, really didn't feel that I could be my true self at all. Now, as a chaplain, and I'm going off script too, because why because not? Because we can. Because we can. 
nobody sees the script except for us, right? So that's right. As a chaplain, you were already a chaplain, and then you transitioned as a chaplain. And religion, people use religion. Well, yeah, I'm just going to go on that thought. People use religion to justify their biases. Like, yes, we'll say that this is this and this is why and, you know, God or whatever higher power they believe in says this. And then others view religion and use it as a embrace everyone, love everyone for who they are from a religious aspect as a chaplain and, you know, not going too deep into like different religious viewpoints and stuff. How has, and I'm sorry, I don't know what denomination of chaplain you are, but how has that been for you as a chaplain and as a religious leader? Great question. Something that I had to wrestle with for many years uh, within my own um, faith background, you know, coming from a uh, Christian Protestant tradition. Um, And as I entered into the chaplaincy, Another one of those times that I thought that I could be so anti-me that at some point I would stop being me um, and I would be what others saw. You're right. Um, All sorts of religions and theologies and ideologies can be used and have been used to fundamentally hurt and harm others. Interestingly, from the same group of books, scripture, text, sacred writings, or whatever it is, you do have those who say, wait a minute, we actually are supposed to embrace others, we're supposed to love others, we're supposed to connect with others, and lift them up and support them, without getting into the big theological doctrines (laughs) and these things. That could be a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. (laughs) Um, what I, what I had to come to terms with is I don't believe that folks, people should use their sacred texts, whatever that is. So in my tradition, the 66 books of the Protestant Bible, mm-hmm. they stand for a reason and it's not intended to be a biology book. It's not intended to be a chemistry book. It's not intended to be a psychology or sociology or anthropology book. Those stories exist for a reason, to tell a story. Within that, I believe that when you look at the overarching theme of all 66 books, it's exquisitely inclusive. Mm -hmm. When we get too caught up in every iota, every tit and tittle, every period and comma is where we find texts that are used to justify absolutely horrendous things upon other people, other human beings. And I just don't think that fits with what I believe should be, uh, that is the message. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. I have 3,000 different thoughts swirling through my head now. And yes, that was, it was so interesting how you, you explain that it's not a chemistry book. It's not a, you know, psychology book. I have never really thought about it like that before. A lot of people want to use, and I perhaps believe is because they don't understand they're looking for answers, or maybe they think they're experiencing something that uh, they think is odd or strange or whatever. And then they use their sacred texts um, as a weapon to, you know, to, to attack the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it has a wonderful story. There's a wonderful, wonderful message within uh, what I'm, what I'm calling the Bible. Um, and I think it's important. Yeah. I think it's very, very important. If I stopped thinking it was important, you know, maybe I'll stop being a chaplain. <laughs> Time for um, a new career then. <laughs> yeah, it's time for a new career. But I think when it's used as a weapon, I think it's misused. Yeah. Kind of on that same line and going back to other conversations that we've had before, you've said, I've been okay with myself for many years, but it was the fear of others 
that drove my own struggle was suicide. And can you kind of talk about your struggles with that? Because that's obviously a really big issue within the army and society overall right now. And can you kind of talk about your struggles and how you overcame them? Sure. This relates back to the whole secrecy thing. Mm -hmm. When we keep secrets, we deny our opportunity to express all of us, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all the things that are supportive and we embrace, all the things that have been hurtful, uh, that have been done to us and all these things. So when I was about 25, that was about the first time, 23, 25, when I had actual language to put to my transgender identity. I knew what I knew. I knew that what I saw in the mirror and what other people saw was not how I saw myself. Mm-hmm. I came to a resolution to be able to say, fundamentally, I'm okay. The problem became, and this is part of feeding into some of my own struggles, believing that I can't live my life. I can't exist on this planet unless everybody likes me. Yeah. That if I were to risk sharing that, I would risk people leaving. And at the time, I really believed that I couldn't handle that. Now, I have since come to a different conclusion that, yes, I can. But that's taken a long time. And it's directly related to me being authentic, being um, honest with myself, being honest with others, and being okay with whatever their choice is. I haven't always been there. So that is, that's the reference to it's the others that when I would experience, uh, you know, homophobia, transphobia, all these things that are designed to keep people down, I felt that they were talking to me specifically and that scared me. So it's, it was, I stopped struggling with, am I okay seeing myself as a girl or a young woman or a middle-aged woman? <laughs> Don't you love and when we the, put that disclaimer on there? <laughs> yes. Well, I am 55. I'm embracing it. What else can I do? It's not going to stop. And then when it does, that's not good. <laughs> that's right. Better than the alternative, right? Um, so it became this this idea that if others rejected me, if others uh, could not embrace me for how I saw myself, that I didn't know whether or not life was worth living, whether or not I could continue on. And that's the part where I reached my lowest point, where I generally I just did not think that anything other than ending my life was a reasonable option. I have since discovered that during that time, I was not seeing reality because the reality is I'm living my life. I'm open and there's still challenges. There's lots of people out there who think all sorts of hateful, negative things about me, but I'm okay with that. They can have their opinion because they don't define me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So how do you how do you talk to another soldier or what do you say to another soldier who maybe is where you used to be and doesn't know how, how do they be okay with themselves? How do you get to that point that you're okay with who you are and you're okay with living your true self? Yeah. Um where do I start? <laughs> I I <laughs> what I the first thing I do is listen. I'm doing a lot of talking now, but um, I I tend to do a whole lot more listening than talking. If I feel or if I hear someone that they're telling themselves their own message of this negative image of self, this negative image of others, and this negative image of the world, and those images, those core beliefs are being used against themselves to be able to 
what I call reframe that narrative that answers the questions I am, others are, and the world is. Those three basic things. I have discovered that the people that have talked to me when they're struggling with things the most, regardless of what it is, whether it be their sexual orientation or their gender identity or terrible things that happened in the past and they believe that they're justified in all these really hard things, it's coming from a place where they have a hard time looking at a healthy understanding of themselves, others in the world. So that's where I start. Um, <laughs> and it's a good place yeah. to start. So we we touched on religion and how different people use it and view it. And a lot of people, especially with different belief structures and stuff, they feel like they have to be religious in order to go talk to a chaplain. And, you know, we know just in our jobs as public affairs that that's not necessarily the case, especially because as we touched on suicide before, a chaplain's one person that you're encouraged to go talk to, to kind of unburden yourself and get counseling. And what would you say to someone who has reservations about going to a chaplain because they may either have a different faith or no faith at all? Yeah, Uh, that's a good question. And for me, it would be first understanding what's driving is it just their faith or is it their no faith? And do they believe that that chaplain, that person is going to judge them and these sorts of things? That's often what I hear. Um, And it's this belief or this fear that, oh, I recognize you as a Christian chaplain and, you know, you're going to quote scripture and and all these things. Uh, That might play a role at some point in our relationship, it might not. Anecdotally, I would probably say eight out of every 10 people who sit across from me and open themselves up don't inherently start from a religious or a spiritual or a faith perspective with their struggle. Their struggle is who they are as a human being, that piece of understanding themselves or understanding their past, if their religion, their faith, their spirituality is important to them, if it's helpful for them, then I walk with them, I journey with them on their understanding of their their faith, their religion, their spirituality, or none. So I guess what I'd say to someone is take a chance because there's a lot a lot of really great chaplains who just want to listen, who want to be able to to share whatever that struggle is, and they're not going to preach at you. They're not going to try and make you believe their own particular religion or faith group or denomination or anything. So I have two questions. (laughs) (laughs) So my first would be, do you sometimes look back on your own struggles to help when you are working with soldiers? Short answer, yes. (laughs) You can't help but tell your story. And what I discovered, and this goes back to the secrecy and this burden that, that I was feeling, is when I wasn't able to be authentic with myself and be public about that, quite frankly, it did impact my ability to genuinely connect as deep as I possibly could with another person. When I listen to story, if something reminds me or something piques my curiosity or my interest or triggers a memory, it makes me curious. So then I might ask that person, this sounds like such and such, and then see whether or not I'm I'm right or wrong. That allows the person to maintain control of the conversation. But what it's allowed me to do is the more okay I am every day with me as a total, whole, complete, valuable, loved, worthy person, it does allow me to connect with others because I'm not holding anything back. 
I'm not so afraid that something's going to squeak out that is going to change the dynamics of the relationship. I can be present, all of me, and then let all of my story inform the space that's created with that other person. And I think that's good advice for anyone, no matter what life they're living, just be honest with yourself. I think right now in society, especially with like Facebook, happy social media stuff, and we all try to live a different version of ourselves, whatever that version may be. And it's harder to be honest about your own feelings and who you really are and not who you're trying to be. Yeah, you're right. That's where I have to remind myself of that Brene Brown quote. Mm -hmm. And it really is true. I'm going to have to write that down on my whiteboard now. (laughs) (laughs) So my, my second question was, can you talk a little bit about what you do in your current role? I don't think we actually went over that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm currently serving as the title. The official title is the Senior Chaplain Clinician at Madigan Army Medical Center at Joint Base Lewis McCord. So I work in a hospital. (laughs) I I work at the hospital. And the title simply says that um, of the chaplain clinicians, um, and those are people who've gone through Uh, clinical pastoral education, which is a year-long residency for chaplains to develop uh, what I call advanced pastoral care skills. Um, Put a shout out to the CPE program because it's wonderful. Uh, They have to do a utilization. So I did my utilization, but I asked to to come back to Madigan to be a clinician, basically to uh, work with the other CPE residents as their students to visit people uh, at the bedside, to respond to people walking into the office and, you know, what I call the drive-bys and they knock on the door and say, hey, chaplain, you got a minute? Um, So a lot of that focus on the clinical part of the hospital relationship with the chaplain corps, because there's a lot of other administrative stuff that goes along with it. But I fortunately get to focus most of my time on what I call the direct patient care, if you will. And that's literally anybody who walks in the hospital doors. If you walk in this hospital, we are here for you. You have a look, Ashley. I have a question. (laughs) Ask. She whispers it. (laughs) Because I was stalling. Because I forgot. Um, So can you talk a little bit about the services chaplains provide for soldiers and their families? Um, There's confidential counseling? Um, I might be getting that wrong. Sure, it can be counseling um, or it can be simply uh, a sharing of information one or two times and then we refer to somebody who has a uh, an increased skill set based on whatever the concerns might be. So probably as far as that's concerned, one of the most important things to know is that in the Army, the chaplains are the only ones who have the absolute confidentiality, 100 percent. And so what does that mean? Like 100%. So 100%. If what if somebody comes in who is thinking about suicide? Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. Yes. Okay. Yes. And our enlisted um, personnel as well within the 56 Mike, those religious affairs specialists, they have that same level of confidentiality because we believe within the chaplain corps so strongly that matters of conscience and faith when somebody, even if it's not expressed as faith, when somebody comes to a chaplain as a matter of recognizing that they are clergy, even if it's not their clergy, and they share something, that's their sacred story. I have had numerous people who have come, sat in my office, and they thought that the most reasonable option was to end their own life. I am bound by confidentiality. Sometimes we have to refer and we get that person to understand that I have a limited set in ability to care for that person. Maybe they need long-term help. Maybe they need dual help coming in, speaking with me about matters that speak of this transcendent nature of whatever, religion or otherwise. And 
they go to their behavioral health counselor to work on the practical applications of re-narrating, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy um, or dialect behavioral therapy. These sorts of things can be instrumental in helping somebody get beyond a crisis. So my frame of reference is that if somebody's sharing that with me, there's a part of them, even if it's so small, they might not recognize it. There's a part of them that they don't want to do it. Right. And it's unpacking, exploring that and giving them just a little bit to hold on to until they can get the help that can make a long-term difference. I feel like you hear chaplains and you hear confidential and maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of people probably think, well, it's confidential to a point. My commander's probably still going to find out that I went and talked to the chaplain and this is what I said. But that's not the case. That is not the case. The most that we can share with a command team or people in leadership is, yes, this person was with me during this time period. They are not unaccounted for. Um, I have had in my 11 years, only one or two commanders, whether they be company or battalion commanders, who said, well, chaplain, what's going on? And I usually just have to tell them once, sir, ma'am, that is not a conversation that I'm going to have with you. I'm guarding this person's story just like I would guard yours if you wanted to come talk to me as well. Because we are here for everybody, dependent totally independent of a person's rank from the lowest private all the way up chaplains the our chief of chaplain can be available to the chairman of the joint chiefs you know to all these all these people so just because someone has rank doesn't mean that they're one don't have access two they don't have needs and three they're not offered that level of confidentiality and when people realize that they tend to recognize, yeah, I think you're right. I'm going to stop asking because they trust that I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah. No. And that's a good reminder, I think, to everyone, too, because I think once you get to a certain rank or a certain level in your career, you forget that those same resources that were available to you as a junior soldier or a junior leader are still available to you now. And they just they mean just as much and can do the same things. So I would say that as someone gains more rank and time in that the stresses change and sometimes they actually increase and maybe that's when someone needs to reach out to their either their faith community their spiritual expression um, or explore something new and a chaplain can be the the first person or the person to start that conversation with totally independent of rank senior leaders need support just like the junior enlisted folks do. Absolutely. I just I just keep thinking back. I think, and I'm glad we're having this conversation. I think a lot of people, and again, I, I totally could be wrong, but when you hear chaplain and you think religion and you think, well, I yes. I don't I don't practice anything. Um, right. so I can't go talk to the chaplain. The chaplain's not for me, but yeah. really that the religion part you can take out completely. Right. Well, see, the thing is, I will always meet someone based on my understanding, my theologic worldview, the doctrines and these sorts of things. The difference is I don't believe that somebody has to believe what I believe. Right. And I will hold that space for them to enter into discovery or questioning. So if someone asks me specifically, chaplain, what do you think about whatever then after i ask them why they're curious about what i think (laughs) it might it becomes a discussion of where i come from Mm -hmm. up until that point it becomes what the needs of the person is because i don't want to get in the way of whatever that relationship might need to be i think that's a good reminder to everyone just in all aspects of life right now is you can believe or support or do different things than the person next to you, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a conversation. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. 
something incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Something well, I'm afraid of losing, but I, uh, that's yeah. why we have these conversations. Exactly. That's what we're talking today. Absolutely. And I, I could keep you for the next three hours asking, asking you conversations, but eventually one of us will have to go to the bathroom. So that's probably not yes. a good idea. <laughs> so thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I like my pleasure, my honor. Yeah, this is going to be one of my favorite conversations yeah. that I've ever got to have. Like, it's not an opportunity we're afforded often. And right. we appreciate you opening up and sharing so much of mm -hmm. yourself and your experiences with us. Absolutely. And Thank you for being willing to listen. Hey, <laughs> and we're going to give you one more opportunity to say just anything to anybody who's out there who's listening because you've experienced struggles. So what would be your guidance or your advice or just something that you would tell a soldier who is struggling right now, whether it's identity, family issues or anything else they may be going through? Like what would be your words of wisdom to pass on to them? Yeah, that's a hard one. And yes. when I looked at <laughs> some of these questions one. before, <laughs> thank you. When I looked at some of these questions before, I struggled with a simple, concise way of communicating, uh, communicating this. So I really struggled with it, not because I didn't know what to say, but I, it's really how to say it so that it can be heard by everyone. So this, this is what I hope can be heard by people that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, no matter who you are, no matter who you love or not, one, you're not alone. In a world that wants to label and isolate and cast off, you belong. Always remember your inherent value as a beautiful member of the human race. There are people who will love and support you, walk with you on your journey and have your back. Reach out, find your community, and connect. That was perfect. Yes. Thank you, Chaplain Ammons. You're too kind. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. We know that you're busy, um, and we we really, truly appreciate it. Absolutely. My, my parting thing is I love story, and I don't – I'm not territorial, so if anybody wants to reach out, share their story, maybe I can help point them in directions of resources that could be in their area, or maybe they just want to have someone that they can share a story for the very first time, reach out. I'm on Global. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, anybody who wants to reach out to you can message us on our Facebook pages, and we can link you guys up as well. Great. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Wow, Ashley, that was just a conversation that I think I could have kept having. Yeah, it's probably one of my favorites that we've had so far, and I'm really glad that she agreed to share her story with us. Uh, we often talk about having conversations like this, mm -hmm. and usually we're talking about racism or extremism, but we don't often talk about gender identity. And so I think us being able to have this conversation helps to normalize that. And I think she brought up a lot of good points too, and it's really more about being human and being true to yourself. And I think too often we get caught up in putting someone in a box, like yeah. based on their race or their gender or their religion or something. And really when you break it down, we're all who we are and we have different experiences and we're different people, we're individuals. Right, and, and does it matter? You yeah. know, I mean, if you think one way and I think differently, does it matter? And, in, you know, as a former soldier, and I hate to like, oh, whenever I was in the army, <laughs> but the phrase that they always have is like, we all wear green. Like, it doesn't matter what box you fit in. Yeah. The person to your left or to your right, they're your peer. They're the person that you're in some cases depending on to protect you and yeah. save your life. And we should be able to talk to those people right. next to us. Yeah, and just because I think differently, like I said before, it doesn't matter. Um, I think opening up and having conversations like this and learning more about people, 
will make others understand that it it doesn't matter. Somebody can think different than me and the world is not going to stop spinning. That's true. <laughs> We're going to continue on. Um, and continue talking about continuing on. Talking about continuing on. <laughs> Eve is moving on and continuing on without us. Yes, I, I've, I'm moving across post and taking a different position, but still within the public affairs family. So Yes, and we will miss her greatly here at Forcecom. Um, she has been my battle buddy since I got here a uh, year and a half, two years ago now. So I know that I will be missing her, but um, we wish her luck. Thank you, Ashley. It's been a lot of fun doing this podcast here with you, and I'm really looking forward to see where it goes in the future. And in the meantime, you can get all your Forcecom news on Forcecom's social media channels. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I'll see you next month on the front line.